Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My dad hunts a lot in deep Florida swamps using hound dogs. So the pack of dogs chase the deer and he chases the dogs. And it leads him to the deer, well late one night his pack wouldn't come to him when he called them. They were chasing something. Something that was freaking them out. It was late and he was ready for them to stop the chase so he could gather them up and call it a night. He also had a suspicion based off how excited they were that they were tracking a bear and not a deer. Eventually he gets to a shallow but wide creek that the dogs won't pass and in the twilight he sees what they were tracking. It was about six foot two, covered in reddish black hair, 
walking upright and stunk. Whatever it was, turned back as it was crossing the creek and locked eyes with my dad and his dogs. My dad says it wasn't a bear or a man. Then it disappeared into the bush on the other side. My dad was so freaked out he ran and left his dogs because they still refused to stop chasing it and wouldn't come to him. He only ever found half of his hound pack. He's only ever told family about it. This was maybe 10 years ago, and I was sailing with my family, moving a sailboat from the Connecticut shore to Boston. And this happened on an extremely foggy day. I also remember the day being pretty windless as well so we were just motoring along instead of sailing. Now, the general procedure for sailing in such thick fog is to use radar and foghorns to try to prevent any collisions from happening. At some point we started hearing huge, loud horn blasts, just repeating from somewhere to our right in the fog. It seemed normal enough, someone signaling their position to anyone in the vicinity, then after maybe 15 to 20 minutes of sailing and listening to these horn blasts, we eventually came upon what was making them. Maybe 100 feet from our boat, a huge-ass submarine appeared, and looked like it's just sitting still. The weird thing was the suddenness of its appearance. Maybe not the creepiest thing in this thread, but an enormous black shape appearing out of the fog at sea was pretty creepy to me at the time. When I was bow hunting with my dad in Nevada it was about 45 minutes to an hour before sunset and we were walking back to the truck. When you hunt you hear birds. The wind through the trees. Insects. Well all of sudden it just got dead quiet. No wind. No insects. No birds. Nothing. You could hear a pin drop. My dad stopped me and told me to get down low. I of course thought he saw a cow elk and so I got down and we stayed like that for about 10 minutes. Just straining to hear something. All of sudden we could hear birds, the insects, the wind. Once we got back to the truck I asked him why we were so quiet because I didn't see any elk. He said there wasn't any elk but there was something. I asked him if it was a mountain lion. He said something didn't feel right. I've been hunting these mountains for 30 years never felt what I felt at that mountain. That was 5 years ago and my dad doesn't go back to that area to hunt. I was in Montana in the mountains near Melrose in the Butte area. Me and my buddy had seen a herd of elk a couple days before and then saw them again along the mountain the next day as well. So we decided to head up a day or two after to since we both had tagged still. After a day of hunting and seeing nothing we decided to split up and he would go walk down one side and I would walk another. We were going to meet back up at the truck. It's about 5 and dusk is starting to settle in, so I decided to head back. On my way down, in the middle of the woods, I could hear this continuous sound but I could tell what it was as I started to come around a bend I could make out the faint sound of someone singing. I stopped to listen and was sure it was music but I couldn't tell exactly where it was coming from. I continued to walk and was half expecting to run into another hunter listening to music. I went around a bend and could hear the music much louder, I was 100% sure it was a radio or something at this point. I walked a little bit farther and there was a battery-powered radio sitting on a down tree. 
There was no one around. I decided not to hang around wondering about it and was pretty weirded out at this point. So I climbed over the log that the radio was on so as to keep going on my way. When I got over the log, on the other side was a tipped over box full of all different types of women's underwear and like half a dozen kids dolls all arranged in a circle. The radio was an old tape player and had the same song over and over. I sped walked my ass out of there till I was far enough away, then I started running the rest of the way back. It was the weirdest shit ever. I always remembered the song playing, but didn't know what it was called till I heard it again a few years later, it was Skeeter Davis, The End of the World. I can't hear that song without getting chills now, not that I often hear it. I was on shift at the county jail and had just gotten off of a patrol shift. My shift was supposed to end at 10, but I did not get off until midnight due to some court hearings that had just gotten out. I figured that I would have to go get something to eat and then hit the showers before going home since it wasn't worth trying to sleep in a dirty uniform. When everything is said and done, I head down to the lobby so I can clock out and leave after grabbing something quick to eat. There's this big glass window right behind where they make you sign in, so if there's any issue or if we need an update when the day guys are coming in on shift, you can see all over the front desk through said window. I was about halfway through the lobby, my food already paid for, and trying to pick up something when I noticed something off in the corner window by the lockers where all of our gear is stored during shift changes. There's this big steel cabinet back there, and it's usually locked up pretty good, but it's also sort of old. You can tell if somebody has opened it, it sticks a tiny bit at the hinges. Now, I've dealt with more than my fair share of gear in my short career at this point, so I already know what's supposed to be in that closet just by looking at it. There are two desks, backpacks, tactical vests, and even rifles on occasion. Well, when I saw the cabinet open and the guns were over there instead of over here where they should have been, I got a little concerned. The guys at the front desk heard me asking who was in the locker room. One of them came out to see what was wrong. He checked it out completely confused by what he knew for a fact, that nobody had come in since us day guys started clocking out at this time. We closed up shop and decided to head back down until we could figure things out. I would later find out that my other officers had seen a police officer they did not recognize moving things around, which would later be known as the ghost. But luckily enough, my gun was still in its case, sitting on top of my locker. So if nothing else, nothing was missing for me personally, which is a huge relief. Considering each gun gets locked up with its own special key, and there's only like six of those in the entire station. I was talking to one of the guys at the front desk about what I'd seen, the ghost, the apparition, but he did not remember anybody coming through for a while. So he went back down together to talk to the night watchman. After all this happened, I guess he too has seen this apparition as well. It will come in and move things around, everything from paperwork to equipment. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't believe in ghosts at all, but there's definitely something here. Now, our county jail is pretty small, maybe around 40 cells if I had to guess. But it also has an upper level that houses some offices and the conference room, 
along with holding cells where you could put somebody before transfer or just until their court date. The lower floor houses two large interview rooms, six normal cell blocks, an infirmary that doubles as a psychiatric unit, and then our holding area for everybody else that needs to stay the night. I had gone up there with our main dispatcher and her assistant after talking to the guys at the front desk. Every single door was locked like they should have been, aside from one solitary cell that houses an older woman who'd been picked up for public intoxication just earlier that evening. That just made no sense whatsoever, of course unless she escaped, and I have no idea because it would take quite a struggle to break out of those doors since we're talking about solid steel. The cells also have two dead bolts on top, both being locked, so you have to do three things prior to breaking through all of them, which is nearly impossible if unarmed or alone unless you can pick locks. The cops that were there at the time had gone through just about every inch of this place, coming up with virtually nothing, which is extremely strange. We're a very small team, and we could usually get a pretty good beat on these things before it gets too far. It was only the three of us after all, and we made sure to check out everything together in case something or somebody had slipped by. We even went over our entire walkie-talkie system just to make sure there was nothing going on. But we were also noticing we were having a lot of static issues, which is very unusual. The air felt very electric Why? lots of magnetism in the air, again very unusual. And from the watchman, he always explained how the air would seem to change every time he would see this thing on the cameras, this officer ghost. But after searching for what seemed like hours, we decided to head back down and see if maybe something else had popped up or perhaps there'd be some kind of clue lying around somewhere that could explain all of this without having to call in everybody else just yet. It seemed that maybe this was an inside job. I'm also trying to think rationally here and not immediately go to ghosts. The only people who had access to that room were either on shift or had clocked out at this point. But it doesn't explain why somebody would take or move our stuff and then not bother using it for whatever they wanted to do with it. I don't know if you've ever worked with law enforcement before, but having guns missing is a really bad thing. If they fell into the wrong hands, there's literally nothing stopping them from being used against anybody, including our other officers. Our vests are also equipped with Kevlar plates, despite how light they may be, so those could seriously injure or even kill somebody, which again is an extreme risk since most of us carry them around everywhere we go. I tried talking to the watchman again, who didn't remember anybody else coming in but informed me that on camera, he saw the figure multiple times this evening. I just couldn't buy it, though. If you know anything about our tiny town, you might know we don't have a ton going on, especially at night, which is why most people end up getting bored and find crime to commit. Even officers have a struggle of keeping responsibility or they can't handle the stress that comes with law enforcement. I hate watering the idea of this entire thing down to a silly ghost or apparition or even acknowledging the fact that this police station is haunted but maybe it's time to open my mind. The night watchman, a good friend of mine, is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He wouldn't make this stuff up. I don't know if he really believes in ghosts, but he's definitely seeing something on the cameras that isn't quite human. I was patrolling my usual forest trails at night. 
I've been a ranger for eight years now, and nothing had ever scared me as much as this one experience that I encountered. Well, what I think was a Bigfoot. Doing my routine patrol on this night, it all started with me walking along the same trail I do at night to do my rounds. Being Florida, it had rained earlier in the day, so everything was calm and peaceful, minus the puddles of mud here and there. The sun had set about an hour or two before, which meant it was exceptionally dark outside. Although I was already used to this, the moon was barely out. I saw a few other rangers patrolling with me, but they had passed by, and somewhere out of nowhere, maybe about 30 minutes later, I was walking along the dirt trail when I noticed something appeared in front of me. A dark, large figure coming from the right side of the path and then crossing in front of me as it headed off into some thick brush off to my left, Palmetto's. Actually, this is directly where I patrol, meaning there should most definitely not be anything even remotely close to resembling whatever this thing was. Its speed is what surprised me and took me off guard, considering it didn't even give me enough time to turn around and see what it looked like. All I could make out was that it was jet black, very tall, and easily taller than I was. It moved quickly. I didn't even have time to react until laughter had already gone into the bushes, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared, deep in the palmettos. My heart sunk, and I felt an odd sensation. It was this incredible feeling of fear. All I can think about is how much more dangerous it had just made my job that night. If there was some large animal out here that moved fast, was taller than I, and larger than I, that actually crossed paths with me like it did, what else might be lurking on here? Would it cross paths with me again? Was this thing actually looking for me? As I thought about it more, I consider the fact that if something was after me, then maybe whatever it was might be prepared to attack. Although I wasn't gonna back down without a fight, I began getting angry. Maybe it was my mind playing tricks on me, but I was a few hours away from my shift ending, and talking myself into returning to the station, telling myself that if I did, I would be safe. If this thing is out there, it's just as much looking for me as it is anybody else. So now, more than ever, Getting to my ranger station was my only priority. I didn't really know what it was or what to think about it, but there was only one way to find out, and that was by continuing my patrol. Now, I stood still for a moment, debating with myself on whether or not I should continue, remembering all the times going back home early had made me feel like a failure. Although I had never encountered anything like this before, it didn't mean there's nothing out there. It only means that whatever it was hadn't bothered me yet. But now that it had crossed paths with me, I might be next on this list of things to kill. Music, that would have made me sick. The rest of my story is pretty uneventful, unfortunately. After this, not a lot happened. I didn't see the figure again, and as I look back on this event and reflect, I believe I encountered a skunk ape, a Bigfoot native to the Florida Everglades. While it was probably harmless and didn't want to actually hurt or kill me, it was still completely terrifying. I still don't know if this creature was real or not, but that didn't matter. Regardless of what it actually is, I'm convinced that whatever it was, it wanted to hurt me or so I had convinced myself and still wonder. I'm from California, 
and I was in the northeastern corner of North Carolina the day before Thanksgiving visiting a friend. While visiting I set out for a casual stroll to take in some of this beautiful country. There was an old church with a huge cemetery behind it featuring graves from the 1800s and beyond. I took the road north and walked down to an old wooden bridge that crossed the creek that snaked alongside the road. I thought the bridge would be private because the dirt lane on the other side led down to someone's house. But then I noticed a fire road to the left that corkscrewed up the side of the densely wooded hillside that was my route. It was steep. But the air was cool and it felt good to get some exercise. I was about halfway up and I noticed an old car salvage yard in the open meadow below me, right across the road from the old church. About 30 paces later I got a strange feeling that let me know that I was being watched. So I took two more steps up the hill and heard something sprinting across the top of that hill away from my location. But it was not the general prance like that of a deer, rather these steps were deliberate, heavy, and lightning fast. Then there was a sound of the breaking of a large branch or a small tree. It then got deathly quiet for a few moments. I cautiously took two more steps. Then I heard faint calculated steps around the crest of the hilltop back in my direction. That strange feeling returned with a vengeance. I froze in my tracks. I was carrying a sidearm. I could hear my heartbeat in the silence. I scanned the topography of the hilltop staring from where I heard the tree break from left to my right, high and low searching for the slightest of movement. I was a sitting duck. I just had my back to whatever had the drop on me. Then I saw it. Just the upper half of a head that was the same color as the two pines it was hiding behind. The rest of the body was concealed by the large underbrush in front. It was as still as those two pine trees. The top of the head was rounded and the eyes were black as coal. The eye size was that of a 50 cent piece and about 5 inches apart. I don't know how long I stared at this thing but I do remember thinking what the hell am I looking at. Then it hit me. That has got to be a Bigfoot. Well, that's enough for me I thought and back down the hill I went. I heard a minor disturbance in the leaves and it was all over. I have no doubt in my mind that if that Bigfoot wanted me he certainly could have had me. Fortunately for me, he or she was just curious. The strangest thing about this encounter is that I had no recollection of this event until several years later. My memory shook loose by reading someone else's encounter. I feel incredulous by this fact and can only resolve it as a repressed memory brought on by a traumatic event. I have read hundreds of encounters and listened to lots of testimonies as well, and feel fortunate that I was able to eventually recall the encounter. So, my friend told me this story and swears it's true. It still sends chills down my spine every time I think about it. So, it's a story of his friend, who's also a skilled hunter named Joe, a man who played guitar in local indie band. And an experienced tracker. One fateful day, Joe embarked on a solo expedition deep into the wilderness of New Mexico, unaware of that that awaited him. It started out like any other hunting trip. The crisp air of the wilderness was there, as he ventured into the heart of nature, his rifle by his side, and a sense of anticipation in his veins. He had his sights set on an elk, a creature whose meat would sustain him through the coming months. As the sun began its descent, 
Casting long shadows across the landscape, he finally spotted the perfect target. With steady hands and focused determination, he aimed and fired, the sound of the gunshot shattering the tranquil silence of the forest. The elk fell, and he felt a mix of pride and relief. But then, things started to go awry. As he approached the fallen elk, a strange sensation washed over him. It was as if a pair of eyes were piercing through the dense foliage, watching his every move. He brushed it off as mere paranoia, attributing it to the isolation of the wilderness. Yet, as he reached down to claim his prize, a roar echoed through the trees, shaking him to the core. He froze, his heart pounding in his chest, as he turned to face the source of the terrifying sound. What he saw defied all logic and reason. Standing before him was a massive bipedal creature, towering over like a Bigfoot. Before he could react, the creature lunged at him with lightning speed, its powerful fist connecting with his jaw. He crumpled to the ground, disoriented and in pain, as it swiftly grabbed the elk carcass, tearing it away from his grasp. The creature vanished into the wilderness, leaving him in a state of shock and disbelief. So he sat there, trying to make sense of what had just happened. He says it felt like a nightmare, but the ache in Haya jaw and the lingering taste of blood confirmed its chilling reality. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't shake off the image of that immense creature stealing his kill. He still swears it's a true story. Do with this story what you want. Ex-Royal Navy Lieutenant here. Back in 2006 the ship I was on, HMS York, was crossing the Bay of Biscay when we found a single empty survival suit floating around. When it was first spotted we thought it was a body but when we put a boat out to check it out it turned out to be empty. Probably fell off a container ship in a storm or something totally normal. Or maybe something else spooky or whatever. That was kind of creepy, but not really. We binned it almost immediately. Of course, there's nothing your average sailor likes more than gossip and exaggeration, so within a matter of hours there were rumors sweeping the lower decks that the guys who'd picked it up out of the water had found blood, or body parts, or bite marks, or anything else someone could make up. Classic sailor rumor-mongering action. A few days later, I had one of the younger and more gullible lads, 17 or 18 years old, in my division asked to speak to me in private and tell me that he was scared that he'd get eaten by a sea monster if he went overboard. Naturally, I told him we'd do our best to get him out of the water before any of the local wildlife could get a proper hold on him. Job's a good un. Round about 20 years ago, I worked for the Big Boy Scout Ranch in New Mexico. Philmont. Google it. It's gorgeous. The ranch itself is divided up into little regional support zones. You have a base camp where all these backpacking hiker scouts would come in. Ages of about 14 to 21 sometimes with their parents, but generally chaperoned in some way, and oftentimes a mix of guys and girls. So these kids, and I use the word kid loosely, because hey, I'm old, and all you 20-somethings are kids to me. It's not an insult. It's just perspective. Would go through an initial training period, and then be set loose on the ranch. They'd get an itinerary, telling them to be at X place, 
at Y time, and then off they'd go. Knocking out their 100 plus mile course over 10 days to 3 weeks. I have to admit it was pretty awesome as a scout. It was a grand experience, and at $350 a kid for 2 weeks it was pretty cheap. So anyway. Regional zones of control. Scattered throughout the ranch there were maybe 100-120 primitive camping sites. Some place to drop your gear, get water, take a dump whatever. You might be on the trail for 2-3 to three days before you got to one of the 34-36 to 36 staffed, backcountry camps. A backcountry camp had a staff of 3-6 to six depending on the size and activity. The activity was some sort of Old West style skill that they would then teach the kids. Maybe it's gold panning, or deep rock mining, shotguns, burrow racing, compass and starlight navigation, whatever. I worked at three separate backcountry camps during my years as staff. This would have been the summer of 90s. There were a number of bear attacks that year. More than a dozen. There were also two mountain lion attacks that, thankfully the news agencies ignored. Come to think of it, I was stalked twice, each time for more than 30 minutes. I worked at Harlan Camp, a backcountry camp with guns. Specifically shotguns. Full N are a certified range, and donation of four gorgeous Ruger Red Label over under 12 gauge shotguns. We'd spend the mornings teaching kids to reload bird shot shells, and spend the afternoons blazing away at clay pigeons. We also had burrows. Think of them as shorter, more pissed off donkeys. We'd name them, and then just after dinner the kids would be assigned a burrow, and flog them up and down the valley in a race, and we'd watch every time and pray that the kids wouldn't get their face kicked in. But when we weren't teaching the kids, we maintained an active search area of about 24 square miles around our little backcountry heaven. We were all search and rescue trained. Occasionally, a half-crew of bewildered campers would hit our front porch, and tell us that someone had fallen, and broken a leg, or needed to be similarly evac'd. So this is really just one story of many. Our camp also bordered the highway, and we often had weirdos try and hike up the jeep trail from the road. We'd have to corral these people, and escort them off the ranch. Once at gunpoint. Spooky tale starts here. So it's just after midnight. Late part of the season, maybe the first or second weekend of September. Weather starting to change, the nights came earlier. The camp had finally quieted down, and we'd wrapped up the last bear patrol of the evening. Basically running around and making sure some dumbass kid hadn't dumped powdered Gatorade on a stump again in the hopes of luring a bear to his campsite. The bulk of the campers were asleep by about 9 p.m.-ish. On these nights, there was one lone light on the staff cabin. Really just bright enough for you to find your way to the shitter and back without getting lost. No moon this night. But the starlight could still be pretty incredible. Were it not so overcast. We're sitting there on the front porch. Three of us. The camp director is inside. We're cleaning the guns. I can still remember the smell of the solvent. Big black glass bottle. We just slid the guns back into the safe and we were locking up when it started. Screaming. Sounded like a person. Sounded like several. Women. Screaming. I've never heard anything like it before or since. But distant. And close all at the same time. 
I looked at my buddy, and we both grabbed our guns, and reached for the emergency loads. One shell of tightly packed power that made one hell of a noise. And one shell loaded with zero-zero buckshot that we didn't let the kids use. We booked it out to the burrow pens, only to find the burrows not there. They had a square enclosure, and a sort of long run, that opened up to a small fenced pasture, and a hay loft about 20 feet tall. So we make it through the gate, and the screaming is much worse. Maybe two minutes have passed since we stepped off the cabin porch. I'm in the best shape of my life at this point, but still my heart was pounding so hard I could hear it. I could feel the blood pumping in my ears I was so on edge. We moved back into the enclosure, spread out, so as not to accidentally blow each other in half. The screaming changed. Shifted from high pitch to something more guttural. More like a low, hoarse, raspy growl. Sounded huge moving through the tree lines just outside the fence. We finally get to the burrows. They're all bunched up by the fence line. They see us and come running over. Like we're part of the herd or something. They're shaking. And in the cool, crisp air, they're sweating. Like they've been sprinting back and forth in the pen. The screaming stops. The whatever the F it was moves back into the tree. My buddy takes aim and fires his noise load. But this did not hasten the withdrawal of the creature. We'd packed the noise loads two months previous in celebration of the 4th of July. We'd hiked up to the ridge, and at midnight, our guns had belted fire into the sky. The thunderous rapport was reported heard from the other camps up the valley. 20 miles away. Fitting since it took two days for my ears to stop ringing. The creature took its time leaving. Huge bushes shook when it made its way through them. We hung around with the burrows till dawn. Took turns sleeping in the hay loft just in case. The burrows. Best to think of them like big dogs seemed overjoyed to have us there. Leaping and jumping about. When the sun came up, I saw the blood. Blood on the hooves of the burrows. Blood in the pasture, blood on the fence, blood splattered on hay. Blood on our boots and jeans where we'd failed to see what we were standing in the night before. I followed the blood trail up the ravine wall that the fenced pasture backed up to. I didn't have to go more than 20 or 30 years. Before I found what was left of it. Big mountain lion, probably male, I couldn't tell, got into the burrow pen, probably thinking he could take one down. Goddamned burrow stomped the F to death. Its rear legs were practically sheared off. Crushed pelvis, and lower spine twisted and exposed. It didn't react to the noise from the shotgun, because it couldn't. It just wanted to get away from there before it died. My grandfather was on the USS Block Island when it was sunk off the coast of Italy in 1944. Six men lost, and 951 were rescued by the other ships in the fleet. When the ship was hit, obviously the evacuation was immediate. No time to grab personal effects, just grab a life vest and get the F out. Eventually my grandfather was plucked out of the water by a marine on another vessel. Fast forward to 1966. My grandfather was working in a hangar in the Norfolk, Virginia Naval Base. Right as he was getting ready to wrap up his work for the day he was approached by two men in suits. They were FBI. 
FBI, are you ex? Grandpa, yes. FBI, were you on the USS Block Island in 1944? Yes. Were you issued a 9mm pistol, serial 12,345,678? I believe so. Minutes. Do you know where that pistol is right now? At the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean as far as I Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I know. Turns out that as the ship was being evacuated and someone grabbed some weapons, or at least this particular one, out of the armory, the weapon somehow found its way to the U.S. and had been found at the scene of a mob murder the two weeks earlier in New York City. Edit. Now that I am thinking about it, their rescue was pretty badass too, and worth telling. The other ships in the fleet sailed, full speed towards the floating survivors. Then cut their engines to avoid detection from the U-boat's radar I guess. And their momentum allowed them to drift through the survivors, and pick them up. My grandfather said he tread water for hours, before finally being scooped out of the ocean. Most of the guys had life vests, but they only helped keep them afloat for a little while. And they had to share them. He said he didn't have enough strength to pull himself up onto the rescuing vessel, and that the marine that pulled him out of the water was one of the largest men he had ever seen in his life. As the block island sank the survivors heard an explosion. They were pretty sure it was the sound of the block island exploding either as a result of the water pressure on the munitions, or maybe something in the ship was still burning and caught munitions. Or the ship's fuel supply. No matter the case they were pretty sure the sound came from their sinking ship. Because of the direction it came from. The German sub that hit them thought the explosion was the sound of them being hit, and surfaced to assess the damage. When the Germans surfaced, the rest of the fleet blew the U-boat out of the water. I'm a dive master in the Gulf of Mexico, I was dragging our anchor out of the sand and away from the wreck when I noticed a small object out in the sand. I swim up to it, and it was a dive slate, covered in barnacles. I'm thinking F.Y.A. Free dive gear. As I make my ascent. So I'm topside, customers are all settled in talking up their dives so I decide to check out my new toy. This dive slate was a bit different from others I've seen. It had a wrist strap and has these flip-up slates so it has three pages it had a build-up of barnacles, so I took out my knife to shuck some of them off. After I was satisfied the front was clean, I opened it to the second page on it, in just a faint bit of graphite. It said. Help. This story is 100% true. That means there may be some typos and it may not be as fantastic as some things you read. But it scared two armed guys who have experience in the woods. My friend and I used to hunt in Ocala National. 
I would drive us into the forest with all our stuff and then we would hike for miles. We would look for signs of wildlife like deer rubs, scrapes, tracks, and poop. We often came across signs of coyotes and bears as well. Often, we would start our hike in the morning, get back in the car and go get lunch, then return around 1 p.m. and hike until dark. This time we went in late, like 2 or 3 p.m. I really wanted to check out an area where a controlled burn is just now regrowing its vegetation. Deer paths are a bit easier to follow through those, hogs bed down in the muddy parts, and it's a perfect spot to set up a stand since it's a wide open area. This area was about 2 miles in and another half mile down old logging trail. Took about 2 hours to get there. We don't walk loudly or quickly because it's soft sand on the road and we look for tracks. Sometimes follow a trail. Now, it's not incredibly desolate. There is a hard clay road we drive in on. I drove my BMW 740iL and my Infiniti G37XS in. Easy. The roads we usually follow on foot are only accessible by a lifted 4x4. But it's clear from the ruts that they're used at least a few times a week. Plus, no matter how far we go in, we find beer cans and bullet casings and signs of a fire. Usually when we arrive in the morning there are a few trucks with dog cages parked on the side. The good old boys run dogs through the sectors so we try to avoid those areas. The dogs aren't cute puppies, they're mean and drag wild hogs down by their ears. So best to avoid them. And their owners. They're usually good guys but I'd rather not run into them when they're hunting. Anyway. We went in deeper than usual this time hoping to get away from all those dogs and noise. And to check out that burned patch that was just starting to grow again. We saw much of the ordinary. Deer and coyote tracks. We also saw some bear tracks, big ones and little ones. Both cool and bad. The only black bear I don't want to see is a mama bear with her cubs. They get very aggressive. So we reach the burn field and see a whole lot of nothing. We sit for a while and have a snack to see if anything comes through. After about an hour we decided to explore a small, seemingly fresh trail then head out. Like, pushing brush out of the way kind of trail. We found the remains of a very old tree stand down the trail. And a beer can that was still shiny. And a pair of underwear that didn't look real old. We thought that was kind of funny. Some dude got drunk and shit himself or something hunting deer. Oh, I should mention we are armed to the teeth. Both of us have an AR-15 and a sidearm with extra magazines plus hunting knives. I'm a decent shot, my friend is an NRA instructor. Anyway, we totally mistimed our walkout and it got dark while we were still deep in the forest. There was only a sliver of moon, so it was dark. Luckily I brought my flashlight and I had a light mounted on my gun. The trails are marked by ribbons on trees and can be hard to spot at night. I know that because we took a wrong turn. It's around 10-11 pm at this point and we are still walking and came to a crossroad we didn't recognize and we realized we had be walking for 30 minutes down the wrong trail. So instead of taking the trail heading west we just decided to backtrack. You can't really know which direction a trail leads in the forest. On the way back we started hearing sounds. We figured it was rabbits or squirrels. No problem. 
So we continue and the sounds clearly become the movement of one animal. So we turn out lights out thinking it's a deer or hog and stop walking. We wait for the sounds to get closer. I slowly realize that this doesn't sound like something moving on four legs. But sometimes deer can do that. They step with two legs at a time when they're trying to be quiet. The sounds suddenly stop. Deer must have smelled us. But it felt like it stopped close by so I turned my light on and panned around. Now remember, this trail is barely wide enough for us to stand next to each other. So it's just forest on both sides and you can't see far in. I shine around and see nothing and hear nothing. We wait a minute then give up and keep walking. Another 20 to 30 minutes go by and we start hearing rustling again. This time it's something really moving. Not tiptoeing around. We figure it's a group of hogs. Which made us a little nervous. Those things can suddenly surround you without you even realizing. But it clearly sounded like it was on our right. Also, small animals sound like bears when it's dark and quiet. Much louder than you would think. We stop on the trail to let whatever is coming pass over the trail in front of us. As soon as the rustling gets near the trail, I turn my rifle light and my friend shines the flashlight directly down the trail in front of us. About 30 yards in front of us, we just see a pair of white legs cross the trail and disappear into the woods. Okay, now we are freaked out. They looked human. And it's another 45 minutes of walking to get to the 4x4 only road. Then 10 to 15 minutes until we reach the car. And it all starts with walk straight ahead, where the thing crossed the trail. We definitely were weirded out. But both of us were armed and ready so we just kept going. Not much else to do. Not to mention it's midnight and we are tired. We hear the noises once more off in the distance but it never came closer. We reach the car and usually we like to hang out for a while, check out the stars, and talk. But we both had a gut feeling to just get in the car and go. We kept our guns loaded and hopped in the front seats. Remember, I am driving a normal sedan, not some off-road vehicle. So I have to take it easy turning around and leaving. I can't speed down this road. It's hard clay but rain creates divots, ruts, and mud. Well, I go not even a quarter mile down the road and I have to swerve around a deep rut. My headlights fall onto a guy standing there about 10 feet from the woods. No trail or road going in. He is in a farmer's shirt and shorts. No backpack, gun, hat, flashlights or anything I could see. He didn't wave at us like he was lost. Just standing there. He didn't look at us while we passed him but he started slowly walking down the road as we went by. This is not an area where anyone has cabins for many many miles nor is there any civilization for a good 10 miles. This guy had no reason to be there. Is this guy what we saw cross our path? How would he trample through the woods for miles? This brush is not like the pinewood forests of the northeast. It's thick scrub with nettles and palmetto bushes that cut you and snakes and ticks and all kinds of bullshit. I wouldn't walk through it in a long sleeve hoodie and jeans and boots. Let alone a short sleeve t-shirt and shorts. And why the f was he following us? Did we stumble upon this guy's hangout spot when we found the fresh beer can and underwear? We did not call FWC or the police. I don't know why. 
I guess we just did not want to deal with them, plus they would be suspicious of us being out in the woods that late. We both were certain we saw human legs cross the trail. But it seemed so unlikely we decided we were seeing shit. Then we see this guy standing in the pitch dark with no moon and no flashlight? What? If it's true that this crazy F was stomping through thick brush, he had been close enough to us that if he charged he definitely could have tackled one of us before we could react. That is the weirdest thing that has happened to me in Ocala National Forest. I am not scared to go back. Typically, wherever the dogs run is a safe area. They scare off anything that would hurt you, including people. But I would rather not walk for hours in the pitch dark just hoping our flashlights didn't run out of battery. We had our phones turned off to save battery in case we had to make an emergency call. If we even had service. At least we could use it as an emergency flashlight. Feel free to ask questions. I may have misremembered some parts. I wrote this at different times throughout my day so there may be some parts that don't line up. It'll fill in those gaps tomorrow. It's 3.30am now and I don't want to edit on mobile. Thanks for reading. My event took place on 2021 at 18 in Denver, Colorado. In the two half years following my event, I have had a host of very strange phenomena happen to me. I have been shy about talking about these things, from what I believe is a result of my interaction with this object. The event started with me witnessing a bright yellow cylinder craft hovering above Interstate 70 just east of Denver. At the time I felt a sudden fear, but that feeling quickly changed to euphoria. I don't remember much after that, other than waking in my bed the next morning. About two months after my encounter sighting all of the moles on my body began to fade and then completely disappear. To date, Five moles have completely disappeared and nine more are in different states of fading. About five months after this event occurred all of the hair on my arms and legs began to change to light blonde end mass. I have medium brown hair and am only 31 years old. Although I originally considered premature graying I began to notice the individual hairs changed color from the root upwards. And when the hair started to change it took about five days for the complete hair change. The top of the hair fading from medium brown to reddish to blonde. So it was not as if it was growing out this color and no amount of sun exposure has ever caused lightning like this on me before. Also, the hairs that have changed colors have actually changed in consistency. They were originally a medium coarseness and now they are feather soft fine. About two months ago the spider veins in my legs began to fade and now one that I have had for about seven years is completely gone. And another is fading rapidly. Since this has occurred I have had dreams almost nightly of entities who talk to me and claim to be intelligent species from somewhere else. And they keep trying to give me strange information I don't understand. I woke up a few times and caught myself uttering some language that I have never heard before. But I have ruled out speaking in tongues because it seems this language seems to have structure and form. I also have feelings of hot and cold in different parts of my body. I get pulsating feelings on the bottom of my feet up my legs down my arms, and on the palms of my hands. Sometimes this pulsating becomes so intense it is painful. I have also felt this heat pulsating feeling right below my eyes between my eyes and in the front of my brain. 
I am very upset and confused as to what is going on with me. I live on the back of the ranch where I work. I got the job in college, and I've graduated since, but working the olive orchard or vineyard since has been pretty gratifying. My first year living on site, third year working there, I got really drunk and drove the utility vehicle I'm responsible for out into the enchanted forest, this is the place the cows run off to when a bad rainstorm comes through. The ranch hand before me took off immediately when my boss told him to move out so I could take over, and when I did so there were 15 head of cattle. I was on top of this number, and counted them each and every day I fed them. Some calves had come in, so the number had jumped up, but the point was that if something happened to a particular cow I would notice by the end of the day and could search for her, or him, if it was a bull. Anyways, I'm toasted and enjoying revving this Kawasaki mule up and down the different hilly sections of the far end of the ranch by starlight when a shit ton of vultures burst into the air in front of me. I screech to a halt as a horrible smell fills the air, and find myself staring into the maggoty eyes of a recently dead cow. She's still got flesh, so she hasn't been dead long, but I don't recognize her from the small herd I deal with every day. There's a thick scent of death and something else in the air. I leave the headlights on the mule running and circle around her with my LED flashlight and see a huge, sickly flesh balloon dropped out from between her hind legs. Working on a ranch, you get used to death because it's a huge part of the whole thing, but the strange smell behind the familiar scent was this pouch coming out of her containing her stillborn fetus. As best I can figure, she had died attempting to give birth after the herd had rejected her following her isolation from them during some kind of sickness under the previous ranch hand's term, something he had never mentioned to me or my boss. The smell was worse the next day when I used a forklift to carry or drag her into a shallow grave in order to dump lime all over her, but stumbling across her while chasing a stargazing spot is forever etched into my mind. This took place in 2019. One night, coming home from a friend's party, it was me, my girlfriend, my brother, his girlfriend, and her friend, we had an extra seat, and she was staying with us. We were making our way home and decided to take a road that would cut our travel time down. Everything was cool until my brother wanted to stop at the gas station to get gas and food since he believed in the classic gas out cliché. We arrived at the gas station, and he decided to go in and get food while I stayed with the girls. Everything was going normally until a big black 18-wheeler semi-truck pulled into the station. We thought nothing of it. I wasn't paying much attention to him until he got out of the truck and stared at us. When I say staring, he was looking into our souls. Now I was worried, and my brother was still in the store. We couldn't see his face as he had a hoodie on covering his entire face. I was skeptical, and so were the girls. He was doing a lot of suspicious things, like going behind the trailer, peeking his head around, and even walking on the other side of our car and standing there. We locked the doors, and I immediately called my brother who held the door for him. The two bumped into one another. My brother had food and got into the car. We immediately sped off, heading towards the highway. There was this long stretch of road before getting back on the main highway. 
We were talking about the truck and how weird he was acting. Some time went by, and that same truck had followed us, but he passed us at fast speeds, nearly taking us off the road. We couldn't make anything out because it was a white trailer with no company labels. We were scared now, and we put it to full speed. We had lost him since our car was faster. Long story short, we got back to our house and parked our car in the garage. Now that we were settling down, all chilling in the living room, we saw bright lights outside our house, and it was the same truck passing through. It was scary because trucks never pass on our road. We were scared that he had followed us. Turning the lights off, we waited the whole night to see if he'd return, but he never did, and we never saw him again. It was one of the truly creepy experiences we had seen before. I was canoeing into my hunting area a few years back. Came around a bend and saw some teenagers, maybe 20 year olds walking down the train tracks. I waved hello and they proceeded to shoot a couple bullets in the river 40 yards in front and behind my boat. I have never been so angry in my whole life. I thought about going ashore downstream and sneaking up behind them to let a few bullets rip myself, but was afraid I might accidentally kill someone. I am in the US Coast Guard, and I recently was assigned to a ship. I was going through our log books to look up something and noticed that on the bridge a unknown blue light was observed beneath the water's surface the night before. This intrigued me so I started looking through more of the logs. Apparently every two to three weeks they enter lights of varying colors in places you would not expect. Usually white, red or green lights are on the horizon, or in the sky, ships and aircraft. But they seem to report colored lights under the water, sometimes moving around, sometimes stationary. Lights in the sky moving at extreme speeds then immediately stopping or disappearing altogether. Sometimes lights are visible to the naked eye but when we try to look at it with FLIR or night vision they are undetectable. I was in high school that time and right in front of our house there was a secluded park. That park is empty and peaceful, but it gets crowded at a certain time of the day because of dog owners. So, my dogs are not friendly and because of that we take them out a little bit early than others. Like usual, I checked the park out from window and there was just a man walking around the park. I took my two dogs, Golden Retriever and Yorkshire Terrier, and went to park. I was listening to music and waiting for my dogs do their thing. I realized that bald and middle-aged man was glancing at us. But he was keeping a distance. I usually know everyone that comes to that park but it was my first time seeing that guy. I am a paranoid person and wanted to go but my small dog were still looking for a place to poo poo. When my dog was sniffing around we had to stop walking. That guy got close to us and said I have a friend and he will bring two aggressive pit bulls here. You should get out. I was surprised and just said I'd and got out. Didn't even questioned and walked out of the park. We could see the entire park clearly from our windows. I almost knew all the dogs that hang around in the park and even know their personalities. I never saw or heard about pit bulls nearby. After some time passed, no one was coming to the park. 
That man was walking kinda wobbly and talking to himself. He was holding some kind of small bag in his hand and he was smelling that bag. We just understood immediately but we were quite amazed by his trick to get me out. After some minutes, a grandpa and his grandchild were walking the hallway to park. That guy didn't even wait them to enter and ran to them and yelled like a crazy. That poor old man was scared a lot, he didn't say anything and just left immediately. We were fine with him getting high in our park up until now. He took a thick tree branch and ran after cats. I got even more mad and made my mom call the police. They arrived 30 minutes later. That crazy guy walked on the police too. They took him and we didn't see him that day. After a winter, we saw him again. We were like uck here we go again. It was our dog's toilet time again. I was studying to my exams and asked my mom to take them out. There was also a gardener and some kids in the park. She decided to go because she was not alone with him. Dogs did their thing and she was just going out. She was just about to leave, he walked on my mom and raised his arm. But, thankfully he was so wobbly. He couldn't get much close. The gardener was just watching from the corner. She screamed a little and went back home. He got taken by polices for three times but he always got back on summer days. My dad was a merchant sailor. He has seen and done some shit. Some things he still won't even tell me. Apparently there was this crew once, probably more than once, that included this crazy guy that slept with a hatchet, who was one room over from my dad, and also a guy who everyone hated. One day, they woke up, and the guy everyone hated was missing. There was some blood around one of the portholes. The way my dad puts it you can't fit a grown man through one of those portholes whole. I've tried. So probably murder, and no one gave a shit. When I was about 10 years old my mom had her second kid. We didn't have a ton of money so, it wasn't uncommon for our cars to break down or need to be repaired. Well, one day my mom, my baby sister, and I were heading to my aunt's house. She lived kinda up in the mountains, so to get there we had to take a pretty steep inclined highway, then it veered off into the more rural area where my aunt lived. About halfway up the incline, my mom's car started to sputter. We could feel the car giving out, and I remember my mom just trying to get the car as close to the exit as possible. Well, the car didn't make it, and we broke down on the side of the highway. This was before cell phones were popular, so the only way to get help was to walk to the nearest pay phone. We were probably about half a mile or so away from the exit, and right off that exit was a gas station. My mom told me to get as close to the guardrail as possible, and we began walking. Within a few moments, a man pulled up beside us and asked if we needed a ride. My mom cradled my sister, shoved me to the side, and quickly said, no to the man. She did that hip bump thing that people do, and at first, I was like WTF. Because if I would have fallen over the rail I would have tumbled down a pretty steep hill. But then I looked over and very clearly saw a gun on the man's front seat. It was half covered with a handkerchief, but it was clearly a small handgun. He pulled it closer to him and tried to fully conceal it, but both I and my mom had already seen it. <laughs> 
He drove slowly beside us trying to convince my mom to get in the car. But my mom just kept saying no. But she wasn't rude or mean about it. Calm as a clam. Just friendly as could be. He finally pulled off as we got closer to the exit, I'm guessing he wanted to stay on the highway. Once he pulled off my mom looked at me and said. He was going to kill us. She was still eerily calm as f. About 30 years ago, my 5-year-old daughter and myself had been invited out to be a part of a friend's wedding party. The event took place at their family's rural summer camp in Halkirk, Alberta. We were there as a group preparing for the wedding a week ahead of time, and the women of the wedding party were being housed in a mobile home on the camp property. One night, just days before the wedding, I was awoken by a strange sound and upon opening my eyes I noticed a very bright beam of light shining in the curtainless window beside our bed. I sat up to investigate, and my first thought was that a helicopter was hovering in the sky above the home. But looking up I realized that what I was seeing was nothing like a helicopter or anything I had ever witnessed before. I saw what looked to be an almost silent, huge dark form hovering in the sky, humming slightly and shining a very narrow beam of light from quite a ways up directly into myself and my daughter. I froze. Scared out of my mind, I realized that what I was seeing was not anything my rational brain could figure out. I sat there stunned as minutes went by, and this object continued to hover without moving at all. I finally reached over and woke up my daughter, who instantly became frantic. I grabbed her from the bed, raced to another bedroom occupied by another bridesmaid, and woke her up to tell her what had happened. The next day I was sheepish to talk about what we had seen as the bride and groom were extremely Christian and conservative, and I thought that they wouldn't appreciate or approve of hearing my story. To this day I have never been able to forget that night, and I have never been able to sleep without closed windows and curtains pulled tight. I'm back home in the UK, in my little cottage with my baby boy. I just put him down for a nap and I was pottering around when I developed severe pain in the tummy. I went down like a bag of potatoes. I couldn't stand, the pain was so intense that I thought I was dying. All I kept thinking of was my son and who would love him and care for him if I'm not here. After a few minutes, the pain went away, as quickly as it came on. However, I contacted my doctors to book an appointment to check what was going on. My doctor examined me and my tummy was tender, so he sent me for an endoscopy, which is where they send a camera down your throat to have a look at what is going on. A week before my endoscopy, I had an amazing experience that I'll never forget. I woke up in the middle of the night and felt a presence in my room. I slowly shrugged it off and started to fall back to sleep. However, I became aware of three childlike alien beings on my bed. I didn't feel scared and I stood up and I held hands with two of them, one on one side of me and the other two aliens on the other side of me. My bedroom wall then started to spin and turned into a porthole and all four of us walked through. We came to a massive room, with lines of computers and a large computer screen on the main wall, very much set up like a NASA mission control center but instead of humans at each computer there were aliens. The room was white, 
Everything was white and on the large screen on the main wall there was a famous male celebrity and I knew they were studying this male celebrity. I then looked down at the aliens that I was with and instantly knew that these three little guys were also studying me and that they knew far more about me than I did about myself. They had been studying me right from the beginning of my life on earth. In the next scene, I remember I was lying on a medical bed and there was another alien, which looked exactly like the childlike alien but she was tall and adult-like. I knew she was female and she spoke to me using telepathy. She started the operation and I started to scream and I mean scream and she stopped what she was doing and told me off in a very stern way. She said the pain wasn't real and that I actually can't feel anything and to be quiet. I did what she asked. She pulled two worm-like creatures out of my tummy, they wiggled and looked very much alive. I was shocked at what came out of me and disgusted. She said there was one left in my tummy, but for some reason, she left it in there. The last scene I remember was being outside, sitting at a table with the three childlike aliens having a cup of coffee. Aliens were walking to what seemed like work and I was drinking coffee. I found it hilarious that they also had coffee and drank it like us humans. What I also found strange was that even though I was the only human there that I could see, no one gave me a second glance, it must have been common for them to see humans I suppose. I went for my endoscopy a week later at my local hospital and they just found inflammation of the stomach. However, I feel that these beings helped me in some way and maybe even healed my stomach. I'm not 100% sure, but that is my conclusion at the moment. Even though this was my first conscious memory of being invited to an alien world, I feel I must have been there many times before. I'm not sure why I was allowed to remember that experience, maybe to help with the healing process. I would love to know what those worm-like creatures were and how they got into my stomach. The worm-like creatures they extracted from me remind me of the scene in the first Matrix movie which I find interesting.